0: All right. Hey, good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We appreciate you being a part of our church family each and every week. And you guys, we had an incredible time celebrating Easter last week. I hope you guys were able uh, to be here with us. Just a quick update on what that weekend looked like for us. We had uh, a little over 1,300 people on our campus uh, for all of our services, so that's incredible that that many people... Uh, We're able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us, and that is certainly worthy of celebrating. But I also want to celebrate uh, our teams who made that possible. So each and every one of you who serve on the Dream Team, thank you so much. A lot of those guys worked multiple services and spent uh, a lot of hours ensuring that we could have a celebration that helped us focus on Jesus And the power of Jesus. So special thanks to all of you who serve on the dream team. And Pastor Mike did a great, great uh, job last week uh, beginning our new series, The Power of Jesus, by talking about the power that Jesus has uh, to conquer the grave. And we know that since Jesus has the power uh, to conquer death, that there's absolutely nothing else that he cannot conquer. And so the next couple of weeks, we'll be walking through a few specific things that Jesus gives us the power Uh, As believers to have victory over and this week we are looking specifically at Jesus giving us the power to unify. So we're looking at the fact that Jesus has the ability to take people from multiple backgrounds and a lot of different people and unify them behind one purpose and one goal. But before we begin digging into that, just to be clear on the front end, that when we say unity, and it will be said over and over and over again today, you certainly will know what we have been talking about. But unity does not equal uniformity. So when we say the word unity, we're not saying that everyone should be alike. And in fact, you guys already know that, that that that's not true you know that we are very different people right we have come from different backgrounds there are different things that we like. Some of you enjoy certain things that other people look at and go, I have no idea why you would want to do that. There are people in this room that think that roller coasters are amazing and there are other people that go, I don't know why you would put your life on the line for something like that. Like somebody had to build that. That means it can fall apart, right? Why would, why would you want to to get on that? And in fact, we're so different. There's a few few things I think that point out how different we are as people. And one is there are certain people in the room who, when you think vacation, and this is your dream right here, right? You're on a beach in a hammock. Nobody is going to bother you. You're just going to simply lay out into the, in the sun all day. You're going to get extremely red and be miserable all night. But this would be amazing for you, right? You would love this. And then there are other people who are right, who would say, when I want to go on vacation, I'm going to go to the mountains, right? Like, now you can have the beach, but I want to go on vacation. I want my, my trip to be to the mountains and I'm going to relax There's something else that causes disunity in America, and if you don't believe me, you can simply post this question on social media. Is this little creation here called a hot dog, and there's an ongoing debate for decades now about whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not, right? And there there are some people who would say that a hot dog is a sandwich. Those people are wrong. A hot dog is a thing in and of itself. And nobody really knows what it is, right? Nobody, nobody knows what that thing actually is. And then we're in the South, so y'all bear with me, right? All right, don't get carried away yet. But there are people who would say that if you're going to pull for a sports team, a college sports team, you live in the state of Alabama, then this is who you should be rooting for week in and week out. And then there are other people. Let's be yeah, there's not any other teams, <laughs> right? Uh, do you see how different we are? Right. Some of you are highly offended right now. You will not hear anything else that I say. It's an illustration. I promise. I promise. There's nothing personal there. But look, it does point out this, that oftentimes the things we're most passionate about oftentimes cause harm to the things in our life that matter most. And so if we're not careful, we'll begin to highlight our differences. And we become really passionate about our differences, don't we? We want to own them. If we have a favorite team, then that is our team regardless. And if they get caught cheating, well, it was somebody else's fault or everybody else is doing it, right? And we'll do whatever we can to make an excuse to, to not turn away from what we prefer are what we desire. And if we're not careful, what we are passionate about will begin to cause harm to the things that actually matter the most in our life. And listen, the things that matter the most are our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with other people. And so what we want to do today is to figure out how it is that we can be so different. And I don't have to remind you again, right? We're different people. Everybody in here is created by God in a unique way. And he created us different on purpose because we need each other. But if we're not careful, those differences will create disunity, And we're going to see that the gospel teaches us that we should fight for unity. That it's something we should constantly be working for. And it's something we should constantly be striving for. And in fact, it is something that Jesus prayed for. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is a, a praying, and we are all very familiar with the prayer that Jesus prays when he says, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, then please, any other way, right? But not your will, but my will be done. We're all very familiar with that prayer, but Jesus prayed other things when he was in the garden. In fact, he spent some time Praying for the world. He spent a lot of time praying specifically for the disciples, those 11 guys who were still following him and disciples of him. And then he spent some specific time praying for you and for me. And so Jesus literally, as he's approaching his death, is praying for you. And he's saying, hey, I want to pray for those who are going to believe because of the witness of these disciples, because of these 11 who are going to go share the story. And generations later, there's going to be millions of people who will believe the message, and I want to pray for them. And so Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for me, and he's approaching his death. And you would think that what he's praying must be extremely important. It's one of the last things that he's praying. And it's really the only time we see him praying for you and for me. And here's how it happens. This is I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray they will be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me and I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one As we are one and I'm in them and you're in me and may they experience. Look, don't don't miss this. He doesn't just say unity, but may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And so Jesus praying for you and me and he didn't pray, Lord, give them fantastic worship experiences He didn't pray, Lord, give them a lot of wealth to give them the resources they need to spread the gospel all over the world. He didn't pray, Lord, give them power. He prayed, Lord, I pray that you would make them one, that they would be unified. And in fact, that they would be so unified that the world would look at the church and go, those people are different, but they are so unified that there really must be a, a God because there's no other explanation for that many people agreeing on anything. And so that's what that's what Jesus prays for me and for you. And he prayed it because of this. Listen, because he knows that our natural tendency is to trend toward disunity. That, that's just the natural tendency of you and me and of people in general. We tend toward disunity because, listen, we're going to look at it in a minute. We're selfish people. And we want our way and we want what we want. And I'm not really worried about what you want. Truth be told, I just want things to go the way that i want them. And the truth is oftentimes they don't. And so then I get upset. And when I get upset, it causes disunity. And then there's disunity because things aren't exactly the way that I want them. And you know, this the way I want them's perfect, <laughs> right? That, that's the way it works. And so if you guys would just all agree with me, then everything would be right. That's our mindset. Not not mine. That's yours. Right. That, that's our mindset. But if you just all agree with me, then everything would be all right. So it's our tendency to trend toward this unity. We, we've seen it recently in our world. Just go back to the beginning of COVID and the myriad of things that happen after that. And we saw it even here at the church. There are people who were angry when we quit meeting in person. There were people who were angry when we started back. There are people who were mad when masks were, were required to be worn. There are people who were mad when they became optional. And in the midst of all of that, you throw in racial, racial tensions and political tensions, and we became a world that was probably more disunified than it has ever been. And in the midst of world, being, uh, or world disunity, that what they should see is a church that is unified. Right, a body. Of Again, they're looking in and they're going, "Man, things out there are chaos." But those people, they seem to be unified, and there must be a God in the midst of them. But we tend to point it to other people, and so when disunity happens, what we tend to do is to look at someone else and go, "Well, it's your fault, right?" If the Democrats hadn't, or if the Republicans hadn't, then this wouldn't have happened. We do it more on a personal level, don't we? You think about when you were a kid growing up, if you you had a sibling and you got caught doing something you were not supposed to do, and all of you were involved in it, was it ever really your fault? No, no. I, I had two brothers, and so it was quick that, hey, well, if Nathan hadn't filled in the blank, it didn't matter what it was. If he hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have responded in this way. And so although I did the wrong action, it's actually his fault, right? We do that as spouses, too. You'd think we outgrow it, but we don't. We don't. You, you leave a, a a bowl in the sink with oatmeal in it for about 30 minutes and it becomes like cement, right? You know what I'm talking about? And whoever it is that goes in behind and is now cleaning the sink up, they're angry and they slam the bowl down and they break it. Well, it's your fault. You shouldn't have left the oatmeal in there and then I want not have got angry, right? We just passed the buck. This, this is what we do over and over and over. Some of us even do it as parents. Right. We will blame our kids. We'll lose our temper to the point that veins are bulging out in our neck and we're saying things we shouldn't be saying. And we walk out of the room and 30 minutes later, we come back in to apologize. But we don't really apologize. And we go, hey, look, I'm sorry I lost complete control. But if you hadn't look, it's nobody else's fault. It's our fault. And the Bible teaches us that when disunity happens, we're quick to point to other people. But actually, it's our fault that we should be the ones owning it, that it's me and that it's you. In fact, the book of James puts it this way. It says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes disunity is what he's asking. Is it not this? He's going to answer his own question that your passions are at war within you. He didn't say that somebody else's passions are at war within them. He said that yours, that it's your passions, that it's your desires, that it's your selfish wants in war within you that bring about the fights and the quarrels among you that bring about the disunity, that it's us. We we are the reason. So what I want to do today is suggest just two things that I think we can do if we are the cause of disunity. Then I want to suggest two things that we can do as individuals and also as a body of believers that will serve to bring about unity. And the first one is this. We're going to choose to focus on what unites us. We're going to choose to focus on the things that unite us. There are a myriad of things that could cause division among us or cause uh, disunity. Right again, we all have our opinions. There are some of you guys who just uh, experienced that worship set and you thought, man, that was amazing. There's others in the room who went, that's way too loud. I don't know why it's always so loud in here. Believe it or not, there's somebody probably next to you that's going, it's never loud enough in here. I don't know. I don't know. Some of you right now are going, it's always freezing in this room. Every single Sunday, it's freezing. I, two rows back, somebody is fanning themselves, right? We're different. We're very we're very different people. Some of you go, it's never bright enough in here. Like, I feel like I'm getting ready for bedtime, and somebody's going, I feel like everybody's looking at me. Right? We're, we're very, we're just different individuals. We're different people. And if we're not careful, again, we can use those differences to bring about this unity. But we're going to make the choice. No, don't miss it. Unity is a choice. It's always... A choice is it something that just naturally happens and there's absolutely nothing, one decision you can make that will bring about unity for all. of It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make moment by moment and decision by decision to, to choose unity over disunity as believers and as followers of Jesus. And as we focus on what unites us, there's a couple of things we're going to look at. And the first one is our Savior. More important than any of the rest of them. The one thing that unifies us as anybody in this room is the fact that we all know that we're sinners and we know we can't make our relationship with God right and we need a Savior. And that Savior is the person of Jesus. And listen, we will not ever budge on that as a church. This is something we will hold to and it might create this unity outside of this body, but it should never create disunity in it because Jesus was very clear about this being true. In fact, he said this. He told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Look, no one can come to the Father except through me. He's it. He's the only way to the Father. And so we hold true to that. And that should unify us as believers. And here's what happens. That as we grow closer to Jesus, that as we grow closer to becoming one with him, we will naturally begin to grow closer to one another. That's it. So we're going to say, you know what? Jesus unifies us. Over everything else. And we're going to choose to focus on him because he brings about unity. And ultimately, all of this is about him anyway. It's not about us. And so we have a common savior. We also have a common enemy. We have a common enemy. There is a God who desires for you and I to be unified as followers of Jesus. And you can bet that if he desires for unity to exist, then there's an enemy that desires to cause disunity. And so every opportunity he gets, he would try to sow discord and disunity into the church, into the local church and into the church as a whole. And so we unify behind the fact of knowing that there is an enemy who is against us. We've seen this in America. If you are old enough to remember when the attacks happened on September the 11th, you remember that those attacks happened in the midst of America being an extremely divided nation. We were extremely divided on a bunch of things, and the attacks happened, and all of a sudden, and it was just for a moment, granted, but for a moment, America was unified because we had to fight a common enemy. There was a war that we felt we needed to win at the moment, and all of a sudden, America began to unify because we realized that we're stronger together. We're stronger together. It's the same in the body of Christ. We have an enemy, and we're stronger together against him. Peter put it this way. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So if you think you don't have an enemy, then you must be saying scripture is wrong because you do. You have an enemy and he's against you and you need the other people in your life and in this room to stand against him. Ecclesiastes put it this way. He said a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer Three or even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We joked a little bit about the differences of everybody in this room. And oftentimes, those differences are annoying, aren't they? Let like, just tell the truth, that there are things about other people that you go, that's kind of annoying. And sometimes you battle about whether or not you should bring it up or not and point out to them, hey, I just want you to know, There's some nines. You're super annoying. And there are some things that you do that, to be honest, I just wouldn't do that if I was you. And and I have some some earth-shattering advice for all of us. There's some good news. Oftentimes, the annoying things about other people are things we need in our own life that we don't have. And so we need to borrow that from them. Here's the way it works out in my marriage. I have something that my wife doesn't have, and it's the ability to stay here all the time. Right? I'm just always here. If you come to me for counseling and you expect me to get upset, you're going to be highly disappointed because you're going to be like, God has no emotion. Like he's always here. Just here. Things are going bad. House is on fire. I'd probably be like, we should probably leave. Right. I think the house on fire. We should probably we should probably get out. And and you may be going, well, it's good to always be sitting. Not always. If the house is on fire, you probably need a little bit of excitement about you. right? You, you need that. You need someone going, hey, you really need to get it in gear. Okay. Get it in. I realize you're packing a bag right now, but we probably just need to go. Like we need to go. And sometimes you need that. You need that push. And it's something that she has in her life that I don't have. But listen, it helps complete me because I need that. And there are times I need that. And there are times together that we're seeking the will of God. And I'm just here and she's here. right? And I I need what she has to give. I say that to say this is you need what the other people in this room have that you don't have. You need it. You are in a battle against an enemy that you cannot defeat on your own. And so you need other people in your life with skills and with wisdom and with weapons that you do not have. And that's why he says a strand of three cords is not easily broken because we need each other. That's why it's so dangerous to quit attending church, to quit being a part of a church, or to quit being a part of a small group because those people have things that you need if you're going to be successful in your walking in your relationship with Jesus. And so we have an enemy, and it reminds us again that we need to be unified because it's an enemy that I can't defeat on my own, but it's an enemy that we can always defeat together. And so we... We uh, are unified against a common enemy. And then finally, we are unified because of our mission. We're unified because of our mission. There is something that the Savior has called us to, and it should be the focus. It isn't our preference. It isn't what we desire, but it's literally the mission. It's the thing that he has left us here to do. He described the mission this way in Matthew, Jesus Said this. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's our mission. It's what we're called to do. And again, the the mission was not to build great houses of worship with great architecture. The mission wasn't to build a certain type of church structure. The mission wasn't to uh, amass a lot of wealth. The mission wasn't to amass a lot of power. Our mission as believers and as followers of Jesus hasn't changed for over 2,000 years. That what we're called to do and what we're supposed to do is to go and to make disciples. And once we share that gospel message with them and they make a decision to trust Jesus, we're to walk with them until they know everything that we know about following Jesus, to teach them all the things that he has taught us. That's it. That is our only mission. That's what God's called us to do. We put it this way at Journey. We say that Journey Church exists to reach those who are disconnected from God and lead them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why Journey Church exists. Most of you guys have been through a Connect class and you've made a decision and you said, I want Journey Church to be my church home. This is where I belong. This is where I feel like God wants me to be. And you actually have signed a covenant that says that this is going to be true of my life. And as a follower of Jesus and as a member of Journey Church, that this is going to be Our mission that we're going to reach those who are disconnected and lead them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And you may be thinking that is a great mission for the church. But listen, who is the church? We are. We are as individuals. We are the church. And so we're not just saying that's the mission of Journey Church. We're saying this is now the mission of everyone who calls Journey Church home. That now my mission is to reach those who are disconnected. And to lead them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And if that becomes our focus, then everything else tends to pale in comparison. That all the other stuff that I tend to worry about, or all the other stuff that churches tend to argue and and, and tend to fight about, all of a sudden those things don't matter anymore because what's most important is the mission. It's the mission. And so what we're going to do as individuals who are the church is we're going to choose to focus On the things who unite that that unite us. We're going to focus on the fact that we have a common savior. We're going to focus on the fact that we have a common enemy. And we're going to focus on the fact that we have a common mission. And that's what we're going to strive to complete. And then listen, we're going to do one more thing. We're going to choose to handle conflict in a biblical manner. Conflict gets a bad rap. We, We want to act like conflict should never happen. But because we're different, conflict will always happen. Write it down. There will always be some sort of conflict. It's going to happen. You're going to disagree with people. They're going to make decisions that you don't like. There are going to be things that you would prefer be some other way. And conflict is going to happen. So knowing it's going to happen is half the battle. Now we just go, we're going to choose to handle the conflict in a way that honors God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to handle conflict in a biblical manner. Well, let's just, just testify for a moment. Those of you in the room who have any sort of relationship with anybody else, would you admit that conflict is going to happen? Right? Right. Some of you are liars, right? You know, you probably had conflict on the way here this morning. You're like, Hey, he's telling the truth. I don't want to raise my hand because he's going to get mad at me. Right? You know, it's going to happen. Conflict, it's just an everyday part of life. And again, it's because God has created all of us different. And so we want to handle that conflict in a way that actually honors the one who created us and the person that we're in conflict in conflict with. And so there's a couple of ways that we do that. And the first one is this, is that we handle the conflict with the individual or individuals that it involves. That seems to be totally opposite of what society would tell us to do today because today's solution to handling conflict is to get a bunch of other people involved. So I want to get everybody else. And so I'm going to get enough people to tell me I'm right. And then when this whole group of people tells me I'm right, then I'm going to go to the person that I had the conflict with and go, we all agree that this is the way that this should have happened. Or this is the thing that you did that none of us like And the Bible goes completely against that. The Bible says if we have an issue with someone, we go to that someone. Not that we rally a team around us to tell us how right we are or how wrong we've been done, but that we actually just go to that individual. In fact, here's the way that the Bible puts it. This is Jesus speaking. He says if another believer sins against you, if they've done something to cause uh, discord or disunity between you and them. And it's their fault. If another believer sins against you, go privately. You see that? Go private. It didn't say go go to Twitter or go to Instagram or go to Facebook or go to your text message group. It said go privately. You go privately and point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. And so it's Jesus. Going, hey, if you have an issue with someone, then just go talk to that someone, not that some many. Just go talk to that someone and go, hey, we have an issue and we need to work through it, All right? There's some things that that both of us probably need to lay on the table and you may be happy go lucky in the room today and go, I don't have a problem with anybody, but there's some people that have a problem with me. Right? The Bible has you covered too. It says this if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, it doesn't say finish the worship service. He says leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It's something Unity is something that Jesus takes so serious that he said, if you're in the middle of a worship service and God brings to mind that there's somebody that you're in disunity with, then I want you to go and fix that. And then you come back and worship. But you go fix the relationship first and you go bring about things that ought to be brought about. Right. You have the conversation. But again, it's with that person. It's with that individual. It's not with anyone else. And so we're going to do that. We're going to handle it biblically with that person. And then look, here's step two. We're going to do it without competition. We're going to do it without competition. The goal of conflict is not to win. It's not to win. Not for us. Not for us as believers. The goal is to take what's been broken and to bring it back to Unity. But we live in a society that says, I should have whatever I want. I should have it. And if what you want is in conflict with what I want, then too bad for you. Because I should get what I want. And all that brings about is disunity. In fact, in Philippians, Paul addresses it. He says this. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. It's just a general reminder from Paul that, hey, this life isn't about you. It's not. It's not about you. It's not about you getting everything that you'll ever want or you'll ever desire. In fact, winning at life is... Isn't you getting all the stuff that you ever wanted? Winning at life is walking with Jesus and accomplishing the purpose that he has for your life. And so he's reminding us. He's saying, hey, it ain't about you. Be humble. Think about other people. Think about what they're experiencing, what they're going through, what they're dealing with at the moment. And so we're going to handle conflict in a way that our desire is not just to win an argument. It's not just about proving ourselves right, but again, it's about bringing back unity with our brothers and sisters. And then finally, we're going to handle it with Christ likeness, with Christ likeness. This may be the most difficult one. Because no one has ever been done wrong the way that Jesus has been done wrong. He came, he lived a perfect, a sinless life. He died a death on a cross for you. And for me, and he paid a penalty for something that he did not do, but he chose to do it anyway. And Paul is now saying that that's the type attitude that you should have, that as you walk through conflict, that again, it isn't about you getting what you deserve, but it's about you sometimes even taking ownership of things that aren't your fault so that you can bring about unity again within the body of Christ. Here's how he put it. He said, you must have Not that you should. You must. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. You and for me. See, our relationship with God was broken. There was disunity between mankind and the Father, and Jesus took the step to restore a relationship even though He wasn't at fault. So maybe you're sitting in the room today and you're thinking exactly that. You're going, Yeah, there's some problems in my life, but they're not my fault. Then the Bible would say, Fits them anyway. It's that important. It's that important. And listen, I'm not standing up here going, it's going to be easy. I know how difficult it's going to be. I know that there are awkward conversations that you're probably going to have to have. And I know that you may be speaking to someone who will not respond to you at all. So why do it? Why be humble? Why try? Why put yourself on the line? Jesus said it in his prayer. So that the world may know. We strive for unity. So that the world may know. That there is a savior. Who has brought about unity. Between man and God. And everything we do. And every relationship that we have. Should point people. To the person of Jesus. And so here's some next steps for us today. They're practical and to the point. The first one is this. We're going to share things that promote unity, not disunity in the church. There's no shortage of things that you can share, whether that be through a phone call or text message or some social media post that will bring about disunity, but make you look good in the process. We're not going to do that because the mission is too important. So we're going to share things that bring about unity, not disunity. We're going to refuse to gossip. Rick Warren has a definition of gossip because it seems to be confusing at times what it is and what it's not. And he said, gossip is just this. It's you talking about a situation in which you're not the problem or the solution. You're just talking to be talking. And then he says this. But if you start talking about it and you're not part of the solution, you become part of the problem. That's gossip. And it's damaging and it's hurtful. And as believers, we say, you know what? Even though at times I'm drawn in that, that's something I'm not going to take part of. Because again, the mission is too important. And then finally, we're going to fix what has been broken. For some of you, your next step Today is to make a phone call, or to drive to someone's home, or maybe to grab the hand of an individual in this room and go, "Hey, I know there's some things that have been causing conflict with me and you, and we need to get that right." Because what we've been called to is more important than the argument that we're that we're in the midst in. So maybe that's it. Maybe before you walk out the door, there's someone you're having a conversation with and you're like, Hey, we're just going to fix this thing. And, and maybe I won't get everything that I've been looking for, but we're going to restore a relationship that has been broken. Maybe you're in the room today and you go, you know what? There is disunity everywhere. Like you see it. There's no reason to convince anyone of it. You've experienced it. If you ever cut the news on, you see it and you, go, I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about creating unity in the body of Jesus, much less all over the world. And I would say this, that you can do something about creating unity in your world. For the people that are close to you, with the people that you do life with on a regular basis, you can become an individual who brings about unity and not disunity. And maybe that starts today with you fixing something that you know you've broken. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. And God, we are so thankful and grateful that you chose to provide a way for us in God to be reunified. Lord, even though you didn't break the relationship, you restored it. And Lord, I know in a room full of people this size that there are There are multiple people in this room who are experiencing friendships and marriages and relationships with siblings or with parents that are broken. Maybe it's their fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault. Lord, give us the courage to take the step today to restore and to fix what's broken. And God, as we do that, would you move and do things only you can do? God, would you heal wounds that we thought never could be healed? Would you restore relationships that we thought would never be restored again? God, you're a miracle worker, and we ask you to do it this morning. And God, would you help us, Lord, as a group and as individuals, to be people who bring about unity? God may people look at our lives and say, those people are so unified. God must be real, because there is no other explanation. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just a moment. Jesus did provide a way for your relationship with God to be restored. The Bible is clear in what it says. About us as we've all sinned. And that that actually has broken our relationship with God. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. And that's not just that we'll breathe our last one day. But it's an eternal separation away from the God who created and loves you. The Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life. Listen, through Jesus. The death that we talked about. Last Friday when Jesus died on a cross, paid the price for you and for me. He experienced that death so that you won't have to. And the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I'll give you a chance to do that this morning. It's a prayer between you and God. It's a prayer you can pray whether you're watching online or whether you're joining us here in the room. You can simply say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need you. I believe you are the Son of God. That you died for me. That you were buried. And that you rose again. And today I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. God, I think for anyone who just said that prayer, Lord, would you give them the courage to share that with someone today? God, would you continue to be with us now as we move into a time of response? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.